Hey, what's up everybody? This is Taylor from Game Devs Quest with this week's quick tip. One of my goals this year is to carve out some time each day to read something technical. I have quite a few books in my bank from Humble Bundles where I can read programming books and game development books just on my phone. If you don't have that as an option, I recommend checking out medium.com which is a blogging site where you can pick all kinds of interests you have, like programming, uh, specific programming languages, or really any topic, like I have climate change selected as as an interest. And uh, so I recommend going in there, creating an account, installing the app on your phone, and then maybe just pick one article a day to read. You'll end up learning new things every day that pertain to the craft of programming or game development. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest, your once weekly podcast falling to game dev scrubs into game devdom. If we can do it, you can too. I'm Rhett. Yo, I'm Taylor. And right at the top of the show, we got some big news. I guess it broke probably like a week ago. Less, I don't know. Yeah, it couple, broke this week sometime. A couple days ago. Yeah. Unity terminated its relationship with a, a, a team called Improbable, who have been integrating their own spatial OS uh, into their games along with Unity, which apparently has become a breach of contract when Unity changed their terms of service, right? It Like, they changed their terms of service, then terminated them because it broke the terms, right? Or did I misunderstand? I don't fully understand that. That's kind of what it sounds like. Either, either that or it's just been kind of a gray area that maybe wasn't explicitly defined, like how it was being used. And I don't still really even understand what it was that, like, broke the licensing agreement. So it's kind of weird, but yeah, it's definitely blown up, and I think it's blown up on Unity. I don't know if it's entirely fair to them, but it's really making them look bad, like look right. like they don't want to work with uh, with other companies. So what what makes it kind of confusing as well is that some sources I've seen report that Unity changed their terms of service, and you know as a consequence of that improbable was in breach of their terms of service yeah other sources report that unity changed their terms of service specifically to put improbable in breach (laughs) of those um yeah and i haven't seen anything that specifies exactly what the breach is almost every source i've read this morning says that their terms of service changed and it put improbable in breach in an unspecified way See, and I think that just goes back to like not properly talking to the public about this because now it's down to this point where everyone's speculating and you can mm-hmm. you can pick sides and who are you going to pick? The people who did just like break uh, or like cut off a working relationship with a pretty prominent company or mm-hmm. like the victim in this case. Like, And for those of you guys who don't know, Improbable makes uh, Spatial OS, which I haven't used myself but i've heard really good things about it's basically like this multiplayer platform that allows you to develop i think a game agnostic of the game engine 
And then it'll be running on one of the improbable servers. Well, not just one, across multiple improbable servers. And it's supposed to be like very performant. And so anyways, it's it's still kind of new. Um, I haven't heard a lot about it. I know I've seen a couple streamers working on it. Uh, specifically new noise works uh one of my buddies is has worked on some of that and i don't know i think it puts people in a weird spot and and one of the biggest complaints was that it was confusing to people who were using spatial os with unity whether or not they would be able to continue development and so then there was kind of this uproar of those developers thinking that they would be out of a job <laughs> right and so Unity had to clarify, basically, that people who already are using Spatial OS will not lose their ability to continue development on those projects. But my right. understanding is that like future development is stopped at this point. So here's, if you don't mind, here is uh, Unity's response yeah. uh, to this, to this uh, situation. It says, we terminated our relationship with Improbable due to a failed negotiation with them after they violated our terms of service. We've made it clear that anyone using Spatial OS will not be affected. Projects that are currently in production or live using Spatial OS are not affected by any actions we have taken with Improbable. If a game developer runs a Unity-based game server on their own servers or generic cloud instances, uh, like several uh, examples listed, they are covered by our EULA. We n have never communicated to any game developer that they should stop operating a game that runs using Improbable as a service. If you are using Spatial OS, please contact us directly so we can address your questions. Now, they go on to have a, a, a heading called called what happened and why um, and if you jump down it says more than a year ago we told improbable in person that they are in violation of our terms six months ago we informed improbable about the violation in writing and recent actions did not come as a surprise to improbable in fact they've known about it for months two weeks ago we took the action of turning off improbable's unity editor editor license keys uh, this is a unique case and not a situ situation we take lightly, but Improbable left us no choice. This was the only course of action to protect the integrity and value of our technology. We believe that even though Improbable is violating our EULA, game developers should never pay the price for that. We have been clear with Improbable that games currently in production uh, or games that are live are unaffected, and we would have expected them to be honest with their community about this information. Unfortunately, it is misrepresented on Improbable's blog. Um Dang. So there you go. So I I want them to specify what they're breaking in their EULA though, right? Yeah. Like, cause that that is pretty convincing, saying that they've been warned for over a year in multiple ways, but at the same time they're specifically leaving out the details about what was broken. And I've heard speculation about how this is partially coming up because of some of the new. Um, multiplayer stuff that Unity is working on. Like, I think, I don't remember exactly what it is, but there's something with, like, Google Cloud or something that they're doing. I can't remember. But, it's, so you you're, you wonder, like, where the where their intentions are. Like, what is the ultimate cause of this? I don't know. It's weird. See, and that's the thing. Not even Improbable. I, I haven't, I'm reading a, a blog post from Improbable and their final statement and everything, and, and it doesn't say yeah. All it does is bitch and moan that their EULA is vague and like, hello, have you ever read a EULA? <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not, and I'm not trying to take sides here. Like the truth is that Unity has every right to protect their IP and, uh, and, and 
Improbable has every right to be upset for, you know, this situation being vague. But it's just, it's weird to me that it's blown up in the way that it has. Um, Yeah, well, what I was going to say was that now Improbable and Epic, uh, the makers of Fortnite and Unreal Engine, are teaming up and they've created a $25 million fund to... uh, (laughs) To help move developers to a more open engine. Right. (laughs) Just like, wow, dude. And thinking about it too, like, I don't know how much, uh, how much money Unity makes, but I, I can't imagine they're even close to what Epic makes because of Fortnite, right? Like, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I looked up how much money Fortnite makes a month and it's, it, for a while it was climbing into the, 300 like 50 million dollar territory per month like that's insane how much money that is and so epic is just like here's another they're trying to put a, another nail in the coffin is what it feels like to me yeah so i don't know it's it's interesting and dramatic and we talked about this a little bit before but my takeaway from this is like I don't really want to be associated with companies that are for profit because their end goal always is to make money. Right. And so like, yeah, they're going to run over their EULA with a fine tooth, whatever. They're going to do their best to like, you know, put a stake in the ground and make sure that they are protecting their assets, protecting their revenue right so in my opinion at this point uh manbeard games is gonna love it like why not just go to mono game or why not go to godot or (laughs) like you won't have to deal with any of that because it's open like yeah (laughs) i don't know that's my feeling after all this and that's a really good point I think that there's something to be said for people who want to be able to use an engine that they have played a popular game on, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's cool that a company like Unity or Epic is able to offer these immensely powerful tools for free up to a certain point, right? Yeah. Allow you to do whatever, however, well, generally, uh, (laughs) uh, but but yeah, open source is kind of the way to go. Well, and it feels like from a from an indie game dev perspective, you don't really want to tie yourself to one of these products because of some of the gross things that are out there with it, you know? Like yeah. honestly after hearing hearing both sides a little bit, I don't really know who to trust, but it sounds either way it sounds a little bit shady. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of what's irritating about it. But, you know, of course, I don't know. And I'm not going to say either one's right. My my gut instinct is to, like, always kind of ally myself with the little guy. But right. both sides seem to be being kind of petty. Yeah. And they're having this weird <laughs> spat in public when, on like, honestly, it just seems like they could have talked to each other. If the claim is true that Unity told them in person and in writing, I mean, that's then that's in stone somewhere. Right. right. Like there's no way that Unity had that talk without documenting it somewhere. At least right. I would hope. And <laughs> and then if it's in writing, it's in writing. We know when that when that would happen. Yeah. So 
to kick and scream and wail that it didn't happen, it almost seems like, well, I don't that, And that's the hard thing. Like, maybe it didn't. But again, why would a giant company like Unity say that it did? Um, yeah. I don't know. See, well, and if you look, like, going back to their intentions, like, why would they, why would they want fewer people to be able to use Unity, right? Right. So it has to be that they're trying to sort of force people into using something of theirs to, to ensure that they're making more money. That's what it feels like to me. Like, it could be. Or I don't it could know, be though. that they broke their terms of con- service in a way that could have easily been fixed. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. People, they keep talking about it being linked to spatial iOS, but I haven't, I've read eight different sources now and not a single one really specifies what it is. Yeah. It's weird, Um, man. It just adds to like the amount of dysfunction that's in like the game development business. Yeah. It's, it, it's very unfortunate to me, but it really makes me not want to use Unity anymore or, or honestly, or Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to go back. I want to try mono game again. That's what I kind of want to do. But yeah, there you go, MBG. That one's for you. Boom. Yep. <laughs> well, so we have a. We actually have a decent amount of stuff lined up for today. Last week, as you guys know, I participated in a software development interview as a phone interview, and I thought that I would have enough content to make a follow up interview, but. Um, they only asked me like five or six questions, so I'll talk a little bit about that. Rhett also just got back from CES, so we'll get into that. And then just as kind of like a side life note, I and maybe I'll start with that. Uh, the other day I came home, and you guys know that I've been trying to take care of these um, feral cats outside and get them into foster care. And one of them, he's this, we just call him Gray Bean. He's this big gray cat. Who, when we first found him, he's like super scrawny, like he was probably only four months old or something. And now he's now he's really big because we've been feeding him a lot. But he's he's kind of like the de facto protector and leader of our little colony that we have around here. And he's been like hurt a couple of times, but he's always kind of bounced back. And on Friday, I came home from work, and he was, like, curled up in this tiny little ball on my front porch, like, right in front of my door. And, man, I was—I felt so bad for him. He just looked lifeless. And I pet him and felt his stomach and whatever. And I thought he just had, like, a stomach ache because his stomach felt kind of bloated. But I went inside. I got them food, brought it out, and then he perked up a little bit. He sat up. And I noticed he wasn't putting any weight on his front left paw and so i pet his paw and he like kind of winced pulled it back and meowed at me and then as i put the food out he i noticed he was only using three legs and getting a closer look his paws was like completely swollen like it was probably twice the size of his other paw and so i immediately just thought he broke his arm and it was just like so heartbreaking, like seeing seeing him in pain and all that sort of thing. So um, my wife was out of town this last weekend. She was up at Nike doing some stuff for her, her work. So it was all on me and I wasn't really sure what to do. So I contacted one of our contacts from this cat shelter uh, or cat rescue place. And she had one of her friends give me a call. And we put this little like blue 
crate out that we made for the cats that they sleep in sometimes when it's really cold. And Graybean just like went in there and like would not come out. He just like went to sleep and looked tired. So I figured, oh, he's fine. Like we'll have, I'll have somebody come out and just pick him up. And so this lady comes out and he's in there. And as soon as she walks over, he must have like heard her voice or something. He like sprints out of there and, you know, all three legs of his. And uh, then we couldn't catch him that night. (laughs) So I like dealt with that all night. I was all worried about it. We put out some traps, but he's pretty smart. So he didn't go near the traps at all. And we ended up catching one of the other cats that we've already caught (laughs) overnight, you know, which was kind of funny. I let her out. But then, uh, so I get up in the morning. I'm the only one around. He's fine, like fine in terms of like his attitude he's i'm petting him whatever and i tried to get him to go into one of the traps but he wouldn't and so i went inside and i got one of our carriers and i put some food in there the other two cats like went in and ate a bunch of it i thought he would go in but they like pushed him out of the way and so i just kind of like took a risk and i picked him up and put him inside of the carrier and zipped it up and like as soon as i did that he just like went into fight mode and he was hissing freaking out like hitting the walls and everything but i ended up getting him and so the lady came and got him um and tried to put him try she brought him to emergency uh vet the emergency vet and i guess as soon as they opened the door he like sprinted out and like was running around being crazy so he hasn't been looked at it's been like three days um but he's at least living at her house right now so it was just so much work and like i just felt so bad for him and i feel really bad for him right now because i i think he broke his arm and he just hasn't been able to be looked at so ah, that sucks yep but the good news is i'm pretty sure we are done with him at this point like he's gonna um, get looked at he's gonna be uh, neutered and then he's gonna go into foster care once all that finally like maybe once his anxiety and stuff goes down and they can actually look at him so but man, that didn't feel great to come home to after I was like all stressed out all week over this interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Alia wasn't here. So it was like, I, it was all on my shoulders, which was just not fun. But anyway, so that's an update on our cats. Um, we're slowly and surely getting them there. So, but I just hate to see that he broke his, broke his leg or got injured. I don't know if he got hit by a car or honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he was just like around someone's house and they like smacked him or something. Right. Anyways, moving on. I guess I could talk about the interview really quick. Sure. So on Thursday, I had my phone interview. It was a little bit weird because the interviewers, like I sit probably like 10 cubes down from them on my floor, um, but we like almost never interact. And... Uh, anyways, it was a phone interview and they had to do it that way to keep it even for all the candidates. And so they were in one conference room and then I was in like one that was two down from them on the same floor. (laughs) Uh, so anyways, it's like two o'clock, I get a call and then they just asked me like five or six questions that were pretty general. I'll say up front that I definitely over-prepared and I specifically overprepared about the technical piece of the interview because they didn't ask me 
what I would say is a, a single technical question. They asked me a very high level programming questions, nothing specific to a language or framework or anything like that. They asked me things like, well, the first question was, why did you apply for this job? And so I just kind of talked about how I enjoy programming and how I've pretty much spend most of my free time programming and I want to transition to a role where I can, you know, spend time working as a programmer. Um, and I tried to just kind of emphasize how much I enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. And then let's see, what were some other questions? They asked me, I, so overall I felt a little bit like I felt okay. I thought I answered some questions really well. Other questions I felt like I sounded like a complete idiot. But I, in the end, I ended up getting a call back. So I have a second interview that's being lined up right now. They're trying to nail nice. down the details on there. Yeah. So I was kind of like, I came out of it and I was unsure. Like, I kind of felt like I had a 50-50 shot of getting a call back because <laughs> I didn't really know. But the questions that I answered well. I think I answered really well. And the questions that I didn't answer well, I think I answered not very good at all. But another couple questions they asked were one that I thought I answered well was or talk about a recent programming challenge. And so I talked about the website I built for my musician friend and how I didn't develop mobile first and I didn't use a framework uh, for anything. I was doing it all by hand. And so I ended up having to deal with all these really small edge cases that were complicated. Whereas if I would have done mobile first and used frameworks, it would have been much faster. And they seemed to like, they were laughing and they seemed like they liked the answer. One question they asked, I thought I did okay on was what types of databases have you used? And um, something like what direction do you feel like the industry is going in? And so I talked because I've used um, SQL Server and MySQL, which are pretty standard relational databases. And then I, in terms of like what the direction everybody's going, I said, I don't really see like big businesses changing away from SQL Server because they're so like reliant on them currently. But there's this sort of push for NoSQL databases, like in the startup world where they don't use I don't really actually know what NoSQL looks like but I don't think it's a relational database so I talked about that and that also seemed like it got a good reaction ones that I didn't feel so good about were they asked me like just generally like what approach I take to designing an application and it was just like super super open ended <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> I just like mumbled around. Like, I felt like if they would have given me an example of like a type of product, I could have spoken more to it. Like, you know, okay, you want to design like a web application that does blogs or I don't know, you know, something, something with like a little bit more requirements, I would have been able to talk about it. But it was just like, how do you make software? And I was just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like I ones just, and zeros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know what they were going for there. I'm sure they probably wanted me to talk more about like the process, like um, you know, add in testing and following 
design patterns and security and like database management and stuff like that. And I think I maybe generally mentioned a couple of those things, but it didn't feel good. So I don't know. They talked about like how you connect to third party applications. So I talked a little bit about like connecting to APIs, which I think is what they're after. They also talked about like they gave a scenario of like I designed like a design doc for an application and then I handed it off to another programmer and the programmer built an application that was like absolutely 100% different than the design document. So how do I handle that situation? And I think that was more of like, how do you deal with conflict kind of a thing? Sure. And so I just talked about like handling it gracefully, trying to build a relationship and like actively communicating ahead of time so you don't fall into that situation and then also like hearing them out because maybe they had a perfectly good reason for um not following my design decisions or whatever yeah you know and that kind of that kind of begs the follow-up question too it's like well i guess if it's a hundred percent different then this doesn't apply but you know i'm wondering you hand somebody a, a design document they uh they get to work they create an app or whatever that is 100% different than what you specified, but is completely functional for, like, the task at hand. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, at, what do you do then, you know? Yeah. At that point, does it matter? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think, like, they focus pretty heavily on design. And so, yeah. which is not really what I expected, because my understanding was this position was more junior level. So, I, like, just wanted to prove that I could program, you know? Right. And so those questions sort of took me off guard and I want to spend more time thinking about design of applications. So I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, reading more about design patterns, trying to prep for this. But also phone interviews are kind of weird. Yeah, they Uh, suck. I haven't done too many of them. The, The good news was that I was able to, you know, bring some notes with me. So I like wrote down a bunch of stuff that I wanted to make sure I talked about or, you know, prep for certain types of questions. And I was able to kind of look through those during my interview a little bit, which was nice. Um, But also, like, I couldn't hear some of the questions sometimes, so I had to ask him to repeat it. And you can't, like, see their faces, so you don't really get a good read on how, you know, like, what, um, what they think of your answer. So it was a little bit strange, but it was either way, like it felt uncomfortable, but I think it was a good growing experience for me. I'm still nervous for an in-person interview, but I think I would do better in that situation than over the phone. Another question was about like, how do I explain a feature to a non-technical person, which I felt like I did okay at just basically like try to put it in layman's terms and things that people understand understand better like if you're making a website like compared to other websites they might be pot they might have used and things like that but i think that was about it i what i did right after the interview was i wrote down some notes about all the questions they asked me and then just like my overall feelings um and i said like they didn't ask me any technical questions i they asked me a lot of design questions i didn't feel prepared for but I think that I showed a lot of enthusiasm, which was good. So anyways, that was my experience. I didn't think it constituted a full episode, but 
since I have a second interview lined up, I'll talk more about that later. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. So my recommendation is don't focus, especially for an initial interview, don't focus so heavily on technical stuff. Broadly think about like your experiences and yeah. like how working with people and designing applications might come up, you know? And, and it's weird because I bet in retrospect, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because like anybody can learn to code. Right. But what they're looking for is the right person to join their team. Yeah. They're trying to weed out people who just don't seem like they would make a good fit. Right. Right. right exactly. Front. Yeah. Because any, like, you know, a, a, anything can code. They can just get a computer program to code itself. No, uh, <laughs> we're not far from that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that does exist. But you know what I mean? They're not going to like build their own AI for this when they can hire a perfectly good human being. That's uh, probably easier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I get, that kind of makes a lot of sense when you really put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I did it again, I I would probably read more about design and things like that instead of like top 50 C-sharp questions asked in an interview, you know? So, but overall, good experience. I'm trying this year. I want to do more things that make me feel uncomfortable. And the first thing, obviously, is this job. If I got this job, I would feel uncomfortable initially for probably a while, which I just want to, like, do. I just want to get out of my comfort zone and, like, grow. Because if you continue yeah. to do the same things over and over, and, like, right now, I feel like I'm pretty good at my current job, and people are very trusting of me. Like, they come to me for a lot of, a lot of things. And that's a good feeling in its own way, but I also feel like I've sort of stagnated a little bit. Like I'm not, I'm not growing from the job itself other than what I'm putting into it. And so that's, it's kind of getting a little bit boring, but some people like that. My, my opinion is I need to continue like to push myself and be uncomfortable. And by doing that, I'm, I'm going to become a better programmer or better whatever, you know? So that's going to be part of my theme for 2019 is just like push and be uncomfortable. Yeah. So anyways, um, that sort of segues into a little bit that I've been thinking about and been talking to Red about, which is I'd like to come up with a segment on either the podcast or just, I don't know, a piece of our community or something where I dissect a design pattern of the week. So I'm going to... We're going to bring that to you shortly. I don't know in what form, but stay tuned. That's all kind of prompted by this design decisions kind of thing for software. And uh, I've talked about it a little bit in the past about like the game programming patterns book you can read online for free, a couple other YouTube series, but I'm going to bring it all together and I'm going to try to hit um, either all the common design patterns or maybe all of them. I'm not really sure, but just to help us all realize when it might be a good idea to not just rely on yourself to build some sort of app, like feature, but use a very tried and true tested process for things that other probably better developers have developed for us. Yeah. So that is coming soon. Sweet. Yep. All right, dude, let's get into some CES, man. Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, I told everybody last time i was heading to ces with our bros over at craft computing and um now i'm back yeah it was pretty crazy uh it 
I was talking to Taylor about this before, but if you guys go back and find the episode where we talk with our bro, Dr. Argus, uh, he talks a lot about these big conference pitfalls. And one of them was, you know, not booking enough appointments. And it might be kind of a weird thing to go kind of, you know, cold into one of these situations without having many contacts or things like that. But you absolutely can uh, get contact information for people that are going to be at these big conferences and schedule appointments. That's what they're there for. You don't have to know them. This is how you get to know people in your industry. And it actually kind of makes me excited for potentially going to GDC, which is what Argus went to. But yeah, uh, but yeah I don't know why I'm talking about this well, exactly. But we, yeah. I was just going to say, honestly, that's how you network. And if you don't yeah. have any contacts, like how else are you going to do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Allie is running into this right now with her job search is basically like she doesn't know anyone in the industry that she wants to go into because most of the people, like all of her mentors and stuff are in the academic side, but the industry side of human physiology is way different. So yeah. it's very uncomfortable and weird to just like call somebody or email somebody and just being like, hey, I want a job or hey, I want to learn more about your your job or your industry or whatever like it's kind of awkward and weird just to ask out of the blue but i think people like to talk about themselves and so a lot of times you'll be surprised people will you know if they have the time yeah you know give you what you want absolutely so anyways continue (laughs) um yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It was just so cool to be able to go and meet all of these industry people. You know, and CES obviously is not game development. It's, uh, you know, technology, electronics, uh, tech hardware, things like that, uh, computing. VR dominated this year as well as drones. I saw like the drone floor was like one of the biggest I saw um, along with the VR floor. Uh, so so what that was pretty cool to see. What huh? did you see in terms of VR? Did you see that thing you were, you guys did your uh, video on? Yeah, 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 yeah. I posted it on Twitter. So we went past the booth. Um, and, of, of course, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, me and uh, Jeff from Craft Computing, we did a review on the Pimax 5K Plus. And the 5K Plus is just a headset. It's kind of piggybacking on the Vive technology. You c- it's compatible with Vive controllers, Vive sensors. Um, but it's its own headset that has two independent uh, monitors that display 5K. So you can play your VR games in a 5K display, which is pretty incredible. Uh, it looked so damn good compared to the HTC Vive headset. And uh, so Pimax, they had a booth there at CES, and they liked our video so much, our review so much, that they reached out and they said, hey, can we play your video on the floor? <laughs> You know, and, and and that way passerbys can can see what you're doing. And the first thing when we we randomly just found the booth and we walked past, they were playing our video. So we <laughs> we took a picture of it. You guys can uh, see that on my Twitter. You know, maybe uh maybe I'll throw it up on the GDQ Twitter too. Um, if it wasn't already retweeted, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So they were playing our review, and there we were talking. So we stopped and and took a picture of ourselves in front of uh image of ourselves talking about this headset. <laughs> <laughs> So that was kind of fun to see, and and a lot of people got to got to see what we were, um, what we're all about just from that video. So that was kind of neat. Nice. Do you feel like that helped help you guys get more viewers by having? Honestly, that post? I I truly I truly don't know. 
Okay. I, I, it's hard to measure that because it was running the whole week. <laughs> um, but how you know, it wasn't rolling. I guess it wasn't running, you know, every minute that they were there. Yeah. Because they were playing other videos and things like that. But it was kind of cycling through the whole week. And how many people walked past? How many people were looking when they walked past? It's really hard to quantify. Yeah. And, you know, I don't personally have access to the analytics um, for craft computing. So, gotcha. you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't have my own quantification for that, but I'm sure it did. You yeah. know, our our links were up on the screen and everything. So if somebody saw it and they were interested in what we were doing, they knew just how to find us. So nice, that's really cool. Yeah, that was kind of neat. Yeah, saw lots of cool stuff there. They had uh, lot lots of bendable screens. Of course, LG <laughs> dropped their their TV that rolls up. Oh when it's my! Not in use. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was pretty cool. To see it kind of, it, it has this base and you press of a button, it just rolls up like a, like curtains <laughs> or rolls down rather. Um, and then you press the button again, it rolls up and now you can watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is uh, lots of tablets that use the same technology. You can just bend it in half or maybe not quite in half, but you know, you could bend it, twist it. Did you use of any of those? I did. Yeah. What did you think of them? I think they're kind of gimmicky, but um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what it means when the technology continues to improve. Would I buy one? I'm not. Everybody knows I'm not an early adopter. So, in fact, if I had my way, widescreen wouldn't be. Oh uh, my! <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I prefer widescreen now. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, were some other VR? That I, oh what? Sorry. What were some other VR things you saw? I don't know, man. Uh, there were so many just different headsets. It had different ways of presenting. The only thing that I didn't see that I really wanted to see was Oculus. And HTC didn't even have a booth either. Weird. Uh, they might have been represented at CES, but not at the showroom floor. Gotcha. Um, because a lot of the vendors, they go, CES is too expensive or whatever. Let's rent a suite at one of the resorts nearby and invite people there. And, and you know, so most of our appointments weren't on the showroom floor. In fact, we only spent probably a day and a half two days maximum on the showroom floor out of the whole seven days that we were there. The rest of the days were spent walking from suite to suite up and down the strip. Uh, of course, cause it's in Las Vegas. So uh, up and down the strip, just meeting with vendors in their suites that they had rented out. What was the, uh, uh, cause I'm headed to Las Vegas in a couple months. What was like your favorite thing outside of CES that you did? We didn't, didn't do we anything. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was really hoping that we would have had time because, of course, like I love Hoover Dam, which isn't far away. Oh, yeah. Um, have you ever been? I've never been. Yeah, do Hoover Dam. Uh, it's amazing. It's it's not that long of a drive, like maybe an hour at most. I don't know. Um, there's parking on site, and then you get to look at one of the biggest man-made structures in the world. Um, it's is pretty that, impressive. Is Hoover Dam government run? I have no idea. Because I don't know, man. This shutdown, it might be still going in March. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Uh, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm sure it probably is, right? Because it was built during the New Deal era, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I guess it could it's, be close. Hoover Dam is USBR. US Bureau of Reclamation. Yeah, so it's probably shut down right now. Yeah. Or people are working but unpaid. So, there you go. I'm fucked up. Yep. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> um, so if the government shutdown's down, uh, done, go see that because it's really impressive. Pictures can't do it justice. It truly can't. Other than that, like, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, we went to a party that was 
uh, up in a nightclub on top of uh, one of the resorts, the Palms. Um, and so it had this big balcony and you could see over the whole strip. It was really cool. I mean, the Palms is off the strip a, a ways, but you could still see everything. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. That was that party was hosted by MSI, who, of course, is a big oh, yeah. uh, manufacturer, uh, computer manufacturer. Yep. Um, God, what else? So that I mean, that was cool. And that was I guess that was CES related because we're still meeting people, still shaking hands. And it's, you know, put on by MSI. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the cooler things we did just because, you know, they buy out the whole thing. So it's like food's free. Drinks are free. And then you just hang out and mingle with people for four hours or five <laughs> hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah. Man, other than that, we did only CES stuff. Yeah. So I don't know what else to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Were there still, you know, those little, the like, you walk around on the strip and there's those guys that are, like, clapping those cards around? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's never going to go away. That's the, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's like, that That will be there, like, long after Vegas is, like, vacated and yeah. irradiated. Right. And, okay. Because uh, <laughs> that's, like, one of my least favorite parts. Oh yeah, I don't like. Honestly, that. Um, compared to the last time I was in Vegas, se- things seemed even a little bit more tame. Like uh, a lot of the you know bartenders' outfits had changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I remember being at a few resorts last time I was there that I was also in for CES, and the outfits that the bartenders and, and hostesses and, and waitresses were wearing were were very more like more God, modest words, just much more risque, right? Um, oh, before or after? Before, and yeah. Or, yeah, the last time I went, and this time around, they just seemed to be a lot more modest. Even I'm not saying that they were modest; I'm saying they were a lot more modest. Gotcha. Um, so I I don't know if that had anything to do with like the amount of money and stuff that CES is bringing in, and CES goes, hey, let's let's tone it down a little bit or whatever. Um, you know, we didn't go. I mean, we probably went to seven, maybe eight different resorts for meetings and stuff like that. And I had been in those same ones before, and everything was just a little bit toned down in terms of of, of that like sex appeal. Yeah, um, hmm. uh, yeah. People are still handing out the cards. Those women in the weird feathery outfits are still oh, walking yeah. up and down the street. You see Elvis take pictures with them. Yeah, I didn't see Elvis, but no Elvis. Uh, what about Michael Jackson? No. I didn't see Michael Jackson. Really? Or what? Uh, Gene Simmons. Didn't see Gene Simmons. Wow, what is going on in Las Vegas? <laughs> I don't know. I saw Justin Bieber. Oh, um, there you go. And a couple, yeah, I don't know. I guess Elvis and Michael Jackson are too, they're, they're just out of style they're now. They're too old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Honestly, we did a we did a couple vlogs and there's going to be more that are posted. So if anybody wants to see some of the stuff that we saw, um, it's, it's up on YouTube.com slash craft computing. And there's just a lot of just crazy B-roll montages of stuff that we saw. Um, some of my favorite things were just like a bunch of like one-off computer cases and things like that. So one of them, uh, there's a uh, manufacturer called Inwin. They're based out of Taiwan, I believe. Um, and they did a, a kind of a really rare uh, computer case called the Z-Tower. And it's basically, you know, uh, sand molded aluminum. And I think they only made 60 worldwide, but they had one there to showcase. And it's just this beautiful piece of – like the case is not – I mean, it's a very functional case, but it's all form over function, right? It's just this yeah. piece of uh, <laughs> the, – these several pieces of, of cast aluminum that have been put together in this weird spiral design uh, with the computer encased inside. And it's just this – it's just so beautiful. And that was captured on one of our blogs. 
Um, and then there was another one by iBuyPower where we did, uh, we did our weekly live show live from iBuyPower suite. Um, and okay. you can see the uh, computer case in the background, but it's on a spiraling platform. And uh, iBuyPower, they're kind of known for their uh, display cases that uh, that have like LCD screens on the side. I, I, I guess they're like translucent LCDs on the side or something. So they can project images while you can see through them to see the computer part. So it's really cool to see. Dang. And they had they had uh, one of these panels that had four uh, screens on it, f- four panels on the side of this case, and it was on a platform that just rotated <laughs> continually. And that was amazing to see. How does and that just work hear with the, the cables? He he rigged up this system that I mean, imagine like a at least the way I understood it. Imagine like how like a, a, a train line works or whatever, like a third rail type train line with the electrified thing. So he had like this this system rigged up where it was transferring the power through the joint that it spun on. And as oh, okay. long as those things were connected, he transmitted power and data through it. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. That that got me thinking, like, we're in the the wireless charging phase. Like, wait till, yeah. wait till that's how everything is with computers. It's all just oh, wireless. Dude. That'll be yeah, nice. Yeah, we're on our way. I know. We really are. And then, of course, the big the big things from CES as well. Um, of course, I don't know how many people are following the hardware wars, um, but... NVIDIA had a press conference the night that we got there, and they kind of, in my opinion, dropped the ball in releasing, you know, because the big deal with NVIDIA right now is is RTX. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, it's their new line of cards uh, that are introducing ray tracing, uh, which is a new, uh, you know, graphical lighting. Uh, yeah. I It you know. it makes it more dynamic, like the lighting more dynamic rather than just baked. Right. Yeah. Right. So right now we have global illumination uh, in our games, but with ray tracing, it's as close to real life lighting as we can muster. It's the same thing that you see in Pixar films and stuff like that. But now they use these tensor cores, which uh, use AI to better predict uh, how these lighting models go. So they're able to cut the render time down. So like, you know, Pixar, when they were doing this, it would take you know, days in order to render a scene with ray tracing because it has to calculate the real life movement of these light rays and figure out what's bouncing off where and how. So it's it, it, it aims to be as lifelike as possible. But with the AI cores, it's able to predict it the, like the more you play it. So it's able to get close to real time speeds. Dang. And, you know, I don't think it's perfect. Well, maybe it is. I don't know how close to perfection it is. But anyway, uh, they dropped their new card. I think it was the the Art. 2060, right? Came yeah. out uh, with their pricing and everything. And it was like $50 under what everybody expected it was going to be. But, uh, you know, as far as power goes, it's kind of still underwhelming. And that whole that that whole press conference seemed to be a little bit disappointing to most people that were there. Then AMD the next morning... Uh, of course, AMD and NVIDIA are direct, you know, graphics cards manufacturers. If you don't know, I don't know if you're listening to this. I feel like you got to know, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but AMD came out swinging at Intel and at NVIDIA during their press conference. They just launched uh, their new graphics card, which competes uh, supposedly in terms of power, competes directly with the RTX uh, 2080 Ti, which is, of course, NVIDIA's most powerful graphics card right now. I think I think it falls a little bit short, but it competes with it. And, of course, it doesn't offer ray tracing, which is uh, an NVIDIA proprietary technology. And they also came out swinging with a new uh, CPU 
chipset that is supposedly there's rumors that it's going to compete with uh, Intel's uh, most powerful uh, processor uh, at the moment. Um, so big news coming out from AMD there, which is kind of exciting just to see because competition is good for the market, which has been stagnating for the last couple of years. And anybody who builds and buys their own computer, you know, builds their own computers knows that it's good for pricing. I mean, just look at uh, what's been going on. I mean, the only graphics cards, if you were a crypto miner, you know, would be these NVIDIA cards, which of course just jacked up the freaking price of these <laughs> damn things for a couple years. Yeah. Um, now we're kind of balancing back out, thank God. And hopefully... Um, the competition lowers prices, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I don't know. What are, what other questions do you have about CES? Um, oh boy. Um, yeah, we we just met a bunch of cool people. It was really cool. Jeff actually got recognized probably like a dozen times by just random people. Oh, that's um, cool. Just from yeah. watching YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. Just from watching YouTube. Um, we also met with a bunch of the big tech YouTubers out there right now and got to have, you know, beers or dinner with them, which is really cool. Uh, I got to meet uh, Brian from Tech Yes City, um, who's a YouTuber from Australia. He's a cool dude. Uh, got to meet Jay from Jay's Two Cents. That was kind of exciting. Um, briefly brushed in with Linus from Linus Tech Tips, which of course. Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's the biggest tech YouTuber out there. Uh, we were at the same parties as him a couple times. So, <laughs> D- oh, and also uh, Steve from Gamers Nexus, if you guys know that. God, no. who else? I don't know. There's a lot more, but those are probably the big uh, tech YouTubers that yeah. we had to meet. Linus um, Tech Tips has almost eight million subs. <laughs> yeah, he's the biggest tech YouTuber by far. Yeah. I've definitely watched quite a few videos of his just like when looking to buy things or yeah, he has a lot of content and that's the big thing. And he kind of, I think, I think he can be thanked for creating the tech YouTube industry kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, he was the first, he was the biggest and he's still going 8 million subs strong. Yeah. And you know, it's because of him that, you know, we know that craft computing is, uh, Jesus, words are escaping me today. Is it what? <laughs> a thing? <laughs> yeah, well, we just know that craft computing is um, possible. You right. Know? Yeah, he has 4,441 videos. So give it, give him three videos and then he'll have a, a pretty solid number there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, geez. Come uh, on, Linus. <laughs> uh, he also employs, like his YouTube channel is so big, he employs like 24 people or something or 25 Dang. people. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just cool brushing brushing with these people and getting to meet them and, uh, you know, tell them I appreciate their work and uh, like their videos and all that sort of stuff. And, and it was kind of cool to kind of get the same from a smaller number of people, I'm sure. But it was really cool when uh, Jeff went up to, to go meet to go uh, meet Jay from Jay's Two Cents. And he's like, hey, I don't know if you know me. Or, and he's like, yeah, Jeff. I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. That is cool. Up and comer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it, it was kind of fun, too, when we were doing our live stream. Uh, there was another uh, big YouTuber uh, named uh, – well, his his YouTube channel goes under dom.tech. I think his name is Dom Irera or something like that. Um, anyway, he was in the back of one of our live streams, and people was like, is that Dom? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so it was kind of fun all around. We had a good time. It was a whirlwind. Uh, there was a couple days we pulled 18-hour days. Oof. There were days where we walked, you know, just as far as you and I walked in Japan a couple times. Yeah. Um, well, dude, yeah. When you're on the strip, you're just going back and forth and back and forth like all day long. 
Oh, yeah. And the common thing that you hear people say is like, well, it's right there. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're looking and you see the damn casino or resort where you got to go, but then it ends up being two miles away. Yeah. Well, you I know? mean, the, those casinos that are on the Strip are massive. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like, we stayed pretty south of the main part of the Strip. We were about, I'd say, two miles south. Uh, well, maybe maybe more. I don't know. But we were pretty far south of Mandalay Bay, but we could see it from our hotel. Yeah. And we'd go out there and be like, Mandalay's right there. And then it'd be like a 10-minute drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah. I, I really recommend just this year, like my, my conference ex- experience is 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 virginal, if you will. Like I, I've never been to a conference really before this year. And I got to go to PAX, which of course is the more gaming-oriented one, especially indie gaming. Um, and, and just getting to see how that – This is your second CES too, right? Well, this is my first CES. Oh, okay. Jeff's second CES. I didn't go last year. Oh, okay. I'm hoping to go again next year. I'm hoping to hit some of the other big hardware uh, conferences coming up. But anybody who wants to start going to something like this, you know, especially something like PAX or GDC or whatever, you know, just uh, just make sure you you book some appointments with people that you don't think that you're going to get an appointment with. I mean, they have a calendar and they want to fill spots and they want to meet people and they want to, and that's the key thing. You put a face to a name and when you go back the next time, they're going to remember you because maybe you guys really hit it off. Maybe you went out for drinks or maybe you had a a lunch meeting or something like that. Yeah. You never know who you're going to identify with. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing, like with how many people I really hit it off with at CES, I'm actually really looking forward to going back and seeing them again uh, next year. You know, and it was really fun. Like there was a couple times where, you know, we went out for drinks with these hardware guys and we're, you know, making crude jokes and having a good time and, you know, briefly talking business. And then the next day, you know, we go in for our real appointment and, you know, they're in suits and it's like, oh, good morning, sir. I hope you slept well. Uh, let us show you our new lineup. You know, it's like you were just having beers with the guy the night before, you know. Yeah. I don't, It's just a whole other culture. I think that... Uh, you know, I've always heard, especially like me being passionate into writing and game dev uh, for a while now, I've always heard that conferences are the way to go to make industry acquaintances, right? You you want to go with business cards, be able to hand out your business cards. You want to be able to receive business cards in return. Um, and you just want to you just want to get them to see your face because maybe when you go in for a job interview, one of those people you'll have met or maybe right. oh uh, you can mention that, you know, so and so and they can ask Oh, did you ever meet this guy? Oh, yeah, he was a great guy. We got lunch that one time. Uh, yeah, good chap or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and like you were saying, that's kind of the the snag that Ali has been running into. And I, I don't think enough people think about the value of meeting people. You know, when I was coming into the job industry, they said that 66% of the jobs on the market were due – or 66, 66% of jobs, I guess, uh, received on the open job market – were due to people you know, right. not because of your qualifications. And yeah. as shitty as that is, <laughs> it means that we're all we're all able to go and level the playing field by meeting more people. Yeah, um, you know, and that was the cool. Even at PAX, you guys know, like I got to go and meet uh, coffee with butterscotch. Uh, excuse me, butterscotch shenanigans. Yeah, um, and I got to I got to hang out and drink coffee with those guys and talk business, and I got a hands on demo with their game, and that stuff only happens at conferences. So. Right. Uh, if you're thinking about it, take a look at some of the others. You don't have to jump right into GDC, but I'm actually really looking forward to I think after dominating CES the way that I did this year, I'm excited to try my hand at GDC and uh, 
meet devs and meet industry professionals and all that. Yeah, man. So. Yeah, it'd be super cool. And and like you said, you don't have to start with the big one. Like, uh, right. Tradusa was showing his game at MagFest, uh, which yeah. sounded like it was awesome. And I was on Twitter seeing like all kinds of famous people, or at least like game dev famous people that yeah, were at absolutely. MagFest. You know, it's like you can make some pretty big name connections at smaller events too. So, yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad yeah. you had a good time. Sounds Absolutely. Sounds fun. Anyway, we're yeah. kind of at the top of our time. Sorry I rambled a little bit there about CES. I should have uh, written up and put some of my thoughts uh, into some bullet points so I could follow them a little easier. I thought it would be easier to unpack, but... Yeah, it's um, all good. Hey, I got one resource I wanted to share uh, related to what I've been doing, which is mostly ASP.NET Core. I've been... Well... I've honestly, I've been reading a lot of those O'Reilly books from that Humble Bundle that I bought a while back, specifically yeah. like the design patterns one. But I was looking for a an EPUB or PDF book that I could read for free that, that was ASP.NET. And there's a book, uh, it's called The Little ASP.NET Core Book. It's completely free. This guy uh, who's like a Microsoft MVP, that's actually a thing, wrote it. And you can get it for free at recaffeinate.co forward slash book. And he has various, he has PDF, Mobi, or EPUB. So I started reading that last night. It's super helpful. So check it out if you want to want something to read when you're not at a computer to, to keep learning ASP.NET Core. So yeah, there's my resource good, of the good week. Good resource. Yeah. Um, otherwise, Sweet. let's wrap it up. Yeah, I think that about does it, guys. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, glad to be back with my bro, Taylor, who has... He's becoming quite proficient at holding this thing down on his own. It's kind of <laughs> making me worried about uh, my future with games. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Hey, if you guys want to get at us, we're on Twitter. We're at GameDevsQuest. If you want to email us, gdq at airpodcast.com. Uh, you can always join our Discord. And here's the thing. Um, if anybody is interested in some of the stuff I saw on CES, hit us up on one of these channels. Uh, by the way, our Discord is uh, bit.ly forward slash GDQ Discord. And get at me and let me know if you're interested in any of the things I saw. Uh, I might link uh, one of our one of our vlogs uh, in the show notes here just so you guys can take a look at some of the cool stuff we saw. Yeah. Don't feel idea. the need to watch the whole thing. There's a bunch of montages in there, though, if you want a, kind of a quick uh, recap of that. Uh, were you saying something? Uh, I said that's a good idea, but but I do actually have some about Discord. I don't know if you were around because you're at CES, but we've been getting hammered by these like yeah, I saw spammers. That. So I up yeah. the I up the security or whatever moderation level, and that's kind of helped. But actually, yesterday I spent a couple hours working on a uh, a Discord bot. So nice. Yeah, I'm gonna see what I can do in terms of like having roles set up, and then basically you'll go into a channel and put a reaction that'll assign you a role and then you won't be able to comment until you have an assigned reaction or oh, cool. an assigned role. Yeah, dude. So that's mostly We've been things. talking about doing this since day one. I know. I don't know why we haven't. Yeah. I do want to shout out Manbeard Games because he, he kind of was the one who gave me the idea and he prototyped something very similar um, and gave me a nice .NET Core API that I could use. It's called oh, yeah. uh, Fox Discord or something like that. Let me look it up. Uh, oh, Foxbot. So if you want to write a Discord bot using C sharp, check out Foxbot. It's pretty cool. So I'll be Sweet. I'll be working on that. Introduce it in a couple weeks after I've like fully tested it because I'm kind of scared if I put it in uh, the Discord and then like it 
I don't know, messes up and accidentally removes everyone. That, that would suck. <laughs> Anyways. Cool. Um, yeah, and if you guys feel the need to help us financially support ourselves, you can do so by going and buying yourself a cool old bundle over there on that humblebundle.com, right? Uh, anytime you make a purchase using our link at bit.ly forward slash gdq hyphen humble, we get a little bit off the top. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but don't feel the need to do it just to placate us. We're grown-ass men. We pay our bills. We're good to go. <laughs> uh, but again, it, every little bit does help. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, we're, it's still growing, still developing, but any link that we might have missed, you guys can uh, find over on gamedevsquest.com. What are you clicking over there? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just like getting in the zone. I'm like, time to fucking click. You fucking like that? Uh, so I'm a pen clicker. So no, you're good, dude. Gotta move all the pens away. <laughs> uh, unless we miss anything, I think that about does it for this week. Yep. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. I'll uh, update you when I have more info on my second interview. Yeah, and uh, although that's going to be a while, but you know what? Let's let's get the well-wishing going now. Go ahead and, and, and wish Taylor some luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, he doesn't need it, but, you know, it's a thought that counts. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Cool, guys. Thanks for listening. Well, until next time. Yeah, have a good week. Kudem. <laughs>